0: Welcome back to Plane Crash Diaries with me, your host and pilot Des Latham. This is episode 37 and we're dealing with bird strikes. The most famous of these was U.S. Airways Flight 1549 from New York City's LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte. Pilot Sully Sullenberg and First Officer Jeffrey Skiles ditched the Airbus A320 in the Hudson River off Midtown Manhattan after a bird strike led to both engines failing. All 155 on board were rescued. This was known as the miracle on the Hudson, but this episode is not going to focus on that miracle. What we're going to do is cover some of the history of bird strikes and how there's been a consistent attempt to deal with the challenge of birds. Bird strikes on aircraft go back to the earliest recorded heavier-than-air flights, as noted by Orville Wright in his diary in 1905 after a day on board the Wright Flyer over a Cornfield in Ohio. He wrote, flew 4,751 meters in 4 minutes, 45 seconds, four complete circles, twice passed over the fence into Beard's cornfield, chased flock of birds for two rounds and killed one which fell on top of the upper surface and after a time fell off when swinging a sharp curve. So it's interesting to see that the earliest aviators were actually chasing birds instead of trying to avoid them. Not a bird strike so much as a strike on a bird. In 1911, French pilot Eugène Gilbert was flying his open cockpit Blériot 11 in the Paris-to-Madrid air race over the Pyrenees when he was attacked by an angry mother eagle. I'm not sure about the standard operating procedure, but Gilbert was armed and opened fire on the eagle with his trusty revolver, but missed. It flew off unharmed. He landed safely. It wasn't just birds, but insects too, also extremely dangerous for the early aviators. Henry Arnold nearly lost control of his Wright Model B in 1911 after a bug flew into his eye. He wasn't wearing goggles. Arnold survived, then went on to become chief of the Air Corps between 1938 and 1941, commanding general of the United States Army Air Forces, the only United States Air Force general to hold five-star rank and the only officer to hold a five-star rank in two different U.S. military services. He also founded the project RAND, which evolved into one of the world's largest non-profit global policy think tanks, the RAND Corporation, and he was one of the founders of Pan American World Airways. All of that would have changed had he not managed to control his plane in 1911 after being smacked in the eye by a bug. The first recorded fatality attributed to a bird strike was in 1912, when pilot Cal Rogers was flying over Long Beach in California and he hit a seagull, which became lodged in his control cables. The plane dived into the ocean. Rogers drowned, pinned under the wreckage. He may have already been dead. Later, it was discovered that he had a broken neck and thorax damage. He was struck in the head by the plane engine. Rogers died only a few hundred feet from where he had just completed a remarkable first for aviation. That was a couple of days earlier. He just completed the first transcontinental airplane flight across the U.S. between September 17 and November 5, 1911 with dozens of stops on board his plane called VIN-Fizz. The aircraft in his last flight was the spare-right Model B he had transported by train during the transcontinental flight, rather than the actual VIN-Fizz, which had made it all the way across the U.S. The VIN-Fizz was handed over to the Smithsonian Institution by Rogers' widow, Mabel Rogers, and is now on display at the National Air and Space Museum. One of the greatest losses of life directly linked to a bird strike took place on October 4th, 1960, when an Eastern Airlines Flight 375 Lockheed L-188 Electra flying from Boston hit a flock of starlings during takeoff, damaging all four engines. The aircraft crashed into Boston Harbor, killing 62 of the 72 passengers. This focused authorities on the dangers of bird strikes. This crash wasn't only though, about avians, but poor maintenance because one of the pilot's seats slid backwards and was cited as part of the litany of events that caused the plane to stall. Let's take a little look at what happened. November 5533 and its crew came into Logan that October day in 1960 as Flight 444 from New York City's LaGuardia Airport. Then it was turned around with the same crew on board in Boston and designated Flight 375. The turboprop was scheduled to fly to Atlanta via Philadelphia and Charlotte in North Carolina. The pilots had filed an IFR flight plan and wanted to cruise to Philadelphia at 10,000 feet. At 5.35 p.m. they taxied to the threshold of runway 09 and the tower cleared flight 375 for takeoff at 5.39 p.m. The roll was uneventful, normal. The captain rotated. Six seconds later, a large flock of over 200 European starlings were spotted and the aircraft veered left, then resumed runway heading. Too late, the burrs were sucked into the engines leading to engine one feathering and shutting down automatically. Engines two and four lost thrust, then recovered slightly. The plane continued climbing for a second, but suddenly at 200 feet AGL, it veered to the left again and began to sink nose up. It had stalled. It rolled left. The nose went down. The plane crashed into Winthrop Bay. The fuselage broke into two pieces. Eight of the passengers and two flight attendants in the back were thrown from their seats into the bay, a miracle of its own, as all of these survived and were picked up by boats in a matter of minutes, only slightly injured. The front section sank to the bottom of the bay, however, taking the majority of passengers and flight crew with it. The Navy Reserve commander who arrived at the scene of the accident shortly afterwards could do nothing. Many passengers were stuck in their seats and drowned. This entire sequence of events had taken less than a minute. The Civil Aeronautics Board, which was what the NTSB was before it became the NTSB, sprang into action. In its accident report, the CAB noted that Engine 1 had ingested at least eight birds. Engines 2 and 4 had probably ingested at least one bird apiece. The damage caused number 1 prop to auto feather and shut down, while Engines 2 and 4 lost power at the most critical stage of flight. There were also bird remains in the pitot tubes, which would have affected airspeed indication. In conjunction with the speed misreading, the plane was also unable to climb and stalled and crashed. Later, though, during civil litigation by the family of one of the dead passengers, the airplane maintenance records came under scrutiny. A bit of a shocker was discovered. The maintenance logs showed that the first officer, or the co-pilot's adjustable seat, had accidentally slid backwards during a takeoff about six weeks prior to Flight 375. In a rather cavalier approach to basic AMO rules, A mechanic used a thin strand of wire to stop the sliding, instead of the metal rod that was supposed to be inserted. A subsequent maintenance check on September 19th showed that the co-pilot's seat would not lock in any position, so the engineers just wired it up. The plane crashed on October 4th, not long after this check. Expert testimony during the trial claimed that the co-pilot of Flight 375, who was likely to be flying the plane, while the pilot attempted to locate the problem as per standard operating procedure, When the co-pilot hit the rudders to compensate for unexpected yaw, his seat popped its wire and slid back, which led to him inadvertently pulling back on the yoke. This nose-up condition could have been the decisive stall that caused the final plunge into the water. The main cause was still the birds, and now the FAA had to do something. The CAB recommended first that turboprop planes should be redesigned as their engines were highly sensitive to bird strikes. Earlier piston-powered commercial aircraft were very noisy and relatively slow. Birds could usually avoid these aircraft, and those strikes that did occur typically resulted in little or no damage to the plane. However, turbo and jet aircraft are faster than their predecessors and relatively quiet, and their engine fan blades are often more vulnerable to strike damage than propellers. When turbine-powered aircraft collide with birds or other wildlife, Structural damage affecting the integrity and function of the engine or flight surface is more likely. These quieter engines are undetected by birds until the last second. This has increased vulnerability, particularly in recent years, as the three or four engine jets have been replaced by two engines, thus the miracle on the Hudson. Added to this is another reality. Worldwide air travel has become commonplace, so statistically there are more aircraft coming into contact with fauna of various types. Since the late 1980s, another interesting correlation has led to a heightened threat of hitting a large bird. There's been successful wildlife management, which has increased the number of large species of animal and bird after years of decline. Canada geese, double-crested cormorants, sandhill cranes, American white pelicans, gulls of all sorts, raptors such as falcons, hawks and eagles, vultures and wild turkeys, all are showing recovery after many were on the edge of extinction. And most of those have body masses greater than 1.8 kilograms, which is where Newton's laws loom large. Force equals mass times acceleration, of course. More about this in a moment. Aviation regulators use that weight as a baseline for design, but the largest birds are 18 kilograms or more, and something that size slamming into an aircraft is just going to cause major damage, no matter how advanced the design. The bird induced crashes of the 1974 Learjet at Atlanta's DeCole Peachtree Airport and the 1974 DC 10 at John F. Kennedy International Airport were both attributed in part to nearby landfills that attracted blackbirds and gulls. These crashes led to recommended land use restrictions near airports by the FAA and the International Civil Aviation Organization. Civil Aviation Authorities also developed regulations in 2004 to require that airports experiencing bird strikes assess and manage the hazards through habitat management and control techniques. The International Civil Aviation Organization in 2008 expanded their regulations and standards to include hazardous terrestrial wildlife such as foxes, deer and even moose. Bird detecting radar is now a thing because programs to manage wildlife and associated habitats at or near airports will not resolve the conflict by themselves. The ultimate goal is to integrate bird-detecting radar into air traffic control procedures analogous with wind shear detection and avoidance. But more about these initiatives in a minute. Back to the historical analysis. Another bird strike incident that was critical in the development of improved standards was the United Airlines Flight 297 crash. It was a scheduled flight from Newark International Airport to Atlanta, which plunged to the ground 10 miles southwest of Baltimore on November 23, 1962, killing all 17 people on board. An investigation concluded that the Vickers Viscount 745D turboprop airliner had struck at least two whistling swans, which caused severe damage to the plane, resulting in a loss of control. This accident led to a greater understanding of the amount of damage that can be caused by bird strikes during flight. Afterwards, the FAA issued new safety regulations that required newly certified aircraft to be able to better withstand in flight impacts with birds without affecting the aircraft's ability to fly or land safely. But there is a limit in physics. So let's take a closer look at the Whistling Swans incident. United Airlines Flight 297 was a scheduled passenger flight from Newark to Atlanta, with stops first at Washington, then Raleigh and Charlotte, before landing in Georgia. It was a British-built Vickers Viscount 745 Delta, a medium-range turboprop airliner, tail number November 7430, manufactured 1956. At the time of the crash, it had logged a total of 18,809 flight hours and had been bought by United Airlines from Capital Airlines when the two companies merged in 1961. Captain was 39-year-old Milton Balog, of Pennsylvania, who had served as a bomber pilot in the United States Army Air Corps in the European Theatre during World War II and had been awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. After the war, he took a job with Capital Airlines, which ended up being bought by United. The co-pilot was 32-year-old Robert Lewis, who held an airline transport pilot's license that has actually lapsed because he was overdue for a physical, but he was still qualified and licensed to fly as a co-pilot under the terms of his commercial pilot license of the time. Cabin crew members Mary Kay Klein and Karen Brent they both only just started working for United. Klein completed her training on June 21st and Brent on August 16th, 1962. Of the 13 passengers aboard the plane, six were off-duty employees of United Airlines. There were 13 passengers and four crew on board when the Vickers departed from Newark at 11.39am local time. Everything was normal, and at 12.14pm it was cleared to descend from 10,000 to 6,000 feet. At 1219 p.m., air traffic controllers radioed to warn the pilots that received reports of a large number of ducks and geese in the area. The captain acknowledged the warning. At 1222 p.m., Washington approach directed the flight to turn left to a heading of 200 degrees, which the pilots acknowledged once more. An additional course change was transmitted at 1223 p.m., but there was no reply. And at 1224 p.m., controllers lost radar contact with flight 297. This aircraft had struck the two whistling swans, one of which had sliced through its stabilizers at 6,000 feet, passing completely through the elevators through to the other side. The impact caused the stabilizer to separate from the plane. It was found a quarter of a mile from the wreckage. Investigators estimated that the crash might not have occurred if the two birds had hit the aircraft just a few inches higher or lower, and the stabilizer design was one of the reasons this plane crashed. It lost control and in less than a minute dropped from 6,000 feet, its airspeed increased from 240 to 365 knots, and it hit the ground 10 miles southwest of Baltimore, exploding on impact, killing everyone on board. After the accident, a team of 10 investigators from Washington arrived, led by George Van Epps, who was the Chief of Safety Investigation for the Civil Aeronautics Board. The plane wreckage was spread over an area of around 150 yards, the largest piece about 15 feet long. The fire that broke out after the crash consumed most of the fuselage, the right wing and part of the left wing, and burned up potential evidence of additional bird strikes that may have taken place in other parts of the aircraft. But they did find the flight recorder and reassembled critical bits of the plane at Washington National Airport, and then they concluded that the aircraft had struck at least two birds. Specimens of feathers and bones found at the site were taken to the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, who identified them as belonging to whistling swans, Birds that can weigh more than 18 pounds, or 8 kilograms. And a pilot in the vicinity of the flight had reported seeing a flock of very large white birds flying in a trail at approximately 5,500 feet. There were so many that air traffic controllers at Washington Center had picked up the trail of birds on their radar. The Civil Aeronautics Board released a final report of their investigation on March 22, 1963, which concluded that the probable cause of the accident was a loss of control following separation of the left horizontal stabilizer, which had been weakened by a collision with a whistling swan. The design of the Viscount 745 Delta created new vulnerabilities because the tailplane was mounted higher than the top of the propeller discs and unprotected. The higher cruising speeds of these new aircraft also increased the amount of damage that could be caused by a bird but nearly all of the prior research on the dangers of bird strikes had been conducted in the 1930s, when most planes flew much slower. The only airworthiness regulation that had been in effect about bird strike safety was Civil Air Regulations 4B, which required the windshield of an aircraft to be able to withstand an impact from a four-pound or two-kilogram bird at cruising speed. Just because we all, as aviators, fixate about these things, The relative kinetic energy, or EK, is defined by the equation EK equals half mv squared, where m is the mass of the bird and v is the relative velocity, the difference between the velocities of the bird and the plane, less if the bird is flying away, more if it's flying towards. According to this equation, the speed of the aircraft is much more important than the size of the bird when it comes to reducing energy transfer in a collision. The same can be said for jet engines. The slower the rotation of the engine, the less energy which will be imparted onto the engine at collision. As a result of the accident, the FAA reviewed data from other bird strike incidents and then performed bird strike testing on several types of aircraft. Investigators found most types were bird resistant, but a few, including the Viscount, were vulnerable in the empennage area. In 1968, then, the FAA proposed the addition of a rule requiring airplanes to be capable of safe flight and landing after an impact on the empennage by an eight-pound bird as the plane cruised at cruising speed. There was a bit of a heated debate about this. The agency received a number of comments, some suggesting that the eight-pound bird limit was insufficient and would not have prevented the crash of United Airlines Flight 297 because the swans were about 18 pounds, while others pointed out that had the swans hit the wings that also have caused significant structural damage there using the EK equals half mv squared mass model. On May 8th, 1970, Section 25 bird strike damage of the Code of Federal Regulations took effect, adding a requirement that the empennage of an aircraft must be designed to assure the capability of continued safe flight and landing after an impact with an 8-pound bird during flight at the likely operational speeds. Well, that wasn't the end of the matter. Later in the early 1970s, the Joint Aviation Authorities was formed to produce the European Joint Aviation Requirements for Certification of Large Aircraft in Europe. These were largely based on Section 25 of the US Code of Federal Regulations and specified that the entire aircraft, not just the empennage, had to be designed to withstand these bird strikes. Then, for some reason, the Europeans dropped the design specs to take a strike from a four-pounder instead of an eight-pounder. Anyone who aviates knows what danger lurks. From hitting a bird. The lower you fly, the more the danger. There are tens of thousands of strikes that take place every year globally. There are over 13,000 in the U.S. alone. And yet the number of major accidents involving civil aircraft is actually quite low and it has been estimated there is only about one accident resulting in a human death in one billion flying hours caused by a bird strike. The majority of these strikes, or at least 65%, cause very little damage to the aircraft although the animals almost always die. The Canada goose has been ranked as the third most hazardous wildlife species to aircraft behind deer, which are number two, and vultures, which are thought of as the most dangerous. I fly around a place called Harderbeersport Dam in Johannesburg, and our famous Cape vultures will often swoop alongside. They'll get your attention with a wingspan of over 8 feet and a weight of 11 kilograms or 24 pounds. They can glide so fast that they literally fly in formation with you, their beady eyes glaring at you. Get out of my airspace, is the message. Most accidents occur when the bird collides with a windscreen or is sucked into the engine of jet aircraft. Annual damage is estimated to be $400 million within the US alone and up to $1.2 billion to commercial aircraft worldwide every year. Akaia received 65,139 bird strike reports between 2011 and 2014, and the FAA counted over 177,269 wildlife strike reports on civil aviation between 1990 and 2015. The numbers are accelerating, going up 38% in seven years between 2009 and 2015. There are local specifics, of course. For example, in Australia, their civil aviation has instituted an additional warning about eagles, which are acting a little bit like those cave vultures I described. The eagles believe they are lords of the sky and they actually don't give way to aircraft. Often they see the approaching aircraft but act in a kind of lunatic avian bravado, flying straight into them as a kind of kamikaze ego-driven final eagle act. U.S. airports that are most likely to experience bird strikes are Denver, Dallas, Chicago, O'Hare, JFK and Memphis. Further afield, the new Thames Estuary gets a special danger mention, and another, which aviation experts have flagged as a future risk, is Mumbai's Navi International Airport, which is being built close to a bird sanctuary. But don't worry, that's only starting in 2032. The most dangerous state overall in the U.S. in terms of numbers of bird strikes is Texas, according to the U.S. Library of Medicine Insurance report. The boffins who concocted this report So the most effective action to reduce strikes is to focus on the Wildlife Control Services, or WCS, at airports. More men with shotguns blasting whistling swans, you ask? No, more like visual repellents, those strange spinning chrome pyramids on sticks, lasers, dogs, and trained birds of prey. Other tricks being deployed are propane, exploders, pyrotechnics, and bioacoustics. Then, of course, there is the mischievous experiment conducted in 2012 by operators at Gloucestershire Airport in the UK. They set up powerful PA speakers and cranked out Tina Turner songs, which they said worked a charm and chased away local critters. Rest in peace, Tina. We all miss you. Next episode, I'll take a look at commercial aircraft accidents involving trees and other obstacles close to aerodromes. Until then, aviate, navigate and communicate safely. Goodbye.